Amen. Thanks, Morgan. Uh, you may be seated. Thanks so much for being here once again. I know you've heard that a ton, but we're really genuinely grateful uh, for your attendance. And here, uh, if you haven't been with us in a while, or maybe it's your very first time, we've been in this series titled Set Apart. We've been looking at that one verse for the past four weeks. If you've missed anything, you can go on our, our podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you enjoy your daily listens on the drive to work. And you can see the past three weeks uh, and listen to those of messages or on YouTube. But I want to give you a quick overview of where we've been thus far in this series called Set Apart. Because we've been looking at these four identity markers, uh, giving each one its own week as we've dove in and, and tried to squeeze everything every ounce of goodness out of this verse. We've, we've fallen short to do that, but we've tried our best, right? And so in week one, we looked at this identity marker of a chosen race, where we, we learned together that a chosen race was a people of presence, that they, we design uh, to be a people that are present with each other, present in our community, and present with all those around us. And we applied that by... Uh, uh, going and getting into groups. If you're not in a journey group yet, you have a perfect opportunity to fill out a card this week to jump into one. The new trimester will start uh, next week, actually. And then uh, two weeks ago, we looked at a royal priesthood, that next identity marker, where a royal priesthood, we learned, was a people of service, a people who served together, that served each other. And we applied that by uh, getting into ministry, serving our local body here at Journey Church. And then last week, Nathan taught us about a holy nation, that a holy nation is a people that are made to reflect the image of God to all others, that everywhere we go, our primary calling is to be image bearers, to reflect who our God is to all those around us. And we applied that by not stopping short of anywhere, to go to all the nations, to reflect God's image to everyone that may be around us. And so let's read this verse one more time together. If you have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, it's just 1 Peter 2.9. This one verse, it'll be on the screen uh, beside and behind me. It says, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, be, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's a people for his own possession. I've said this every week that I've taught in this series, but one theologian calls 1 Peter 2.9 the best verse for the job description of the New Testament church and the New Testament Christian because it clarifies both our identity and our activity as the church and as followers of Jesus. That we learn together, we've said phrases like this all four weeks, that your identity informs your activity. Or who you are should inform what you do. Nathan even nuanced it more last week to say who you think you are informs what you do and how you live your life. But the reality for many of us is we don't live this way. We live more to get our identity from what we, knew, what we do. Like our job title and who we believe we are, we get more of that. We, we shape our identity more around what we do than allowing it to flow out of who we are. Think about your job title of the job that you have. That no matter what field you're in, if it's healthcare, marketing, sales, management, you're really proud of that, or at least I hope you are. 
For some of us, we spent many years and finances and brain power and blood and sweat and tears working our way to finally get that job title sitting beside our name on our desk or on our door, that corner office, or to get that raise, whatever it may be. And we're rightly proud of that. Or for some of you, it may be a business owner, like you worked all your blood, sweat, and tears to finally work for yourself. And you should be so proud of that. And you earned it. You deserve it. You got it beside your name and where you are. But there are so many different identity statements of who we are that are not earned. I was just thinking about my life in, in general over the past several years. And I, I go all the way back to the very beginning of like me entering this world. And on, when I came into this world, when I uh, was born... I think about that to be graced with the title of child to my parents. Did I earn that? Did I deserve that? What made me ready to be a child to my parents? And I think about the question like, what made me fit to be a child? What made me ready to be a child? It's like absolutely nothing. In fact, I had no part to play in being called a child to my parents, but I was graced with that. In fact, it, I was uh, came to be before they even realized it. It's just gr the grace of my God uh, planting me in my mother's womb, of opening her womb so that I could be there. Like, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And then I think about another title in my life that I was graced with. June 2nd, 2018. We celebrated over this past weekend the anniversary of our wedding, my wife and I. I was graced with the title of husband. Ask the question again, what made me fit to be a husband? What made me ready to be a husband? Some of you are kind of tooling your mind like, well, you did kind of earn some of that because you had to like woo your, your uh, girlfriend to like say yes when you got down on one knee and everything. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was just to graduate from boyfriend to fiance. Like, no, the title husband. Like what made me fit? What made me ready? I can honestly say absolutely nothing. It's by the grace of God the past five years that my wife has put up with me and, and helped shape me into who I need to be and, and the same for her, right? But that title, husband, is not something you earn or even deserve. It's something you learn to live out. And another title, August 27th, 2020. I was graced with the title, Father. Same questions. What made me fit to be a father? What made me ready to be a father? What allowed me to earn that title? Absolutely nothing. Same problem. I did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, but it's a title that I've spent the past few years learning how to be a dad, learning how to live out that identity. And you know what something crazy is? Your identity in Christ and as a follower of Jesus is exactly like that. There is nothing you could ever do nor will ever do to earn that title. Everything that was needed to be earned has been earned by Jesus. He provided all the energy, the effort, and all the clout to allow you to be a follower of Jesus. It's only by his grace and his sacrifice, his death, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, ultimately his ascension to the right hand of the Father that allows us to be called children of God. 
And the rest of our lives is spent learning how to live out that identity as followers of Jesus. That's the rest of our lives. And it's similar to husbands and, and dads and moms and spouses, all these things. It's very similar in that. You don't earn that. You learn to live it out. You learn to live it out. As Dallas Willard says, he says it like this in a, uh, one of his books, a Christian writer. He says that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude where effort is an action. So I want to derail really quickly before you even get the train on the tracks that thinks that, well, my job as a follower of Jesus, even as a husband, as a dad, as a spouse, just take my hands off the wheel and be like, okay, God, you got it. When no, no, you don't earn those titles. You don't earn those, but you learn to live them. That God's grace is not opposed to your effort. It's opposed to your earning. Grace meaning, meaning undeserved favor. Because in the grace of our God, no one deserves any of, of God's grace, but he freely gives it. That's what makes grace, grace. What's so amazing about our God from the very start of our lives is we've been swimming in his grace without even recognizing it. I'm about to walk through three stages of grace if you're taking notes here. That at the very beginning of our lives, we live in what uh, theologians call God's common grace. That he allows some of these beautiful pieces of life just to be about regular human lives. The grace of a good relationship, the grace of a good meal, the grace of life, the grace of family, the grace of so many things. Or as Jesus himself says, our Father in heaven allows the sun to shine those who are good and evil. He allows the rain to fall on those who are good and evil. It's God's common grace. It's, it's everywhere in our world. But there are those who have recognized more of God's goodness. They, they have recognized how good he is in his saving grace. And they've turned to God away from their sins and trusted fully in Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation. And that's what we call God's saving grace. That it, in our Christianity, a lot of us stop right here that we get God's saving grace and we're good with that. Like we, we're good. We're, we're all good with God's saving grace. I'll see you in heaven one day. But the goodness of our God and the grace of our God doesn't stop there. His grace doesn't stop at saving. It continues on. And what theologians call a variety of things, but what I'm going to call God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace. It keeps us until the very end. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, just right above uh, verse 9 in verses 2 and 3, he says it like this. He says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good if you've experienced his goodness if you've experienced his grace learn to grow in that so the question is is in first peter 2 9 but you are a people for his own possession that's who we are. We are a people for God's own possession. What does that mean? Well, it means that the one who started the work in us will see it through till the end. He will keep us for his own possession, that he will finish the job at which he started, that the one who called us will be the one who keeps us all the way to the end. 
But what is our job? What's our role in that? If Dallas Willard says that God's grace is not opposed to our effort, then what is the effort at which? Because it sounds like God's just going to do the work. Well, our effort is presenting ourselves to the one who can shape us and change us and mold us into who we are called to be. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's so amazing about this title in 1 Peter 2.9 is this is the only title out of all four identity markers that is primarily futuristic in its thinking. In the lens that it's looking through, it's primarily looking to the future, where the first three identity markers have picked up on this Old Testament theme from the people of Israel and looked backwards at how they were a holy nation, at how they were a royal priesthood, at how they were a chosen race, and carried and applied that to the New Testament church now and pushed it to the future. This title, this identity statement, based on the words that are used, is looking more to the future. And what word are we talking about here? I'm talking about the word possession in uh, a people for his own possession. This is the Greek word peripasteo, which is used five times in the New Testament. But we're going to look at the five instances or the four other ones other than 1 Peter 2.9. But I want to show you how different translations try to render this word. They, they try to take this phrase and, and look at it. We're going to look at six uh, trusted modern translations. And the first one's the ESV, where it's a people for his own possession. Or the NIV says, God's special people. The NASV says, a people for God's own possession. The NRSV says, God's own people. KJV, a particular people. NKJV, his own special people. You get how they're, they're trying to take this difficult, complicated phrase and, and turn it to what it's actually trying to say, that it's essentially that the God who's started the work in us will keep us all the way to the very end. And it is an Old Testament theme that has been in the past because God has been making a people for himself. One place in the prophets in Isaiah 43, he says it like this, that everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God tells his people, I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who created you for my glory. I'm the one who formed you. I'm the one who made you. Here God is saying, I'm doing the work. And so in light of that, who are you to be? A people for his possession. His possession. Before we get into uh, how we're going to apply that, let's look at those other four times so that you're not just taking my word for it of the, the four times. And so let's look at this word, uh, how it's used. For the other time is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, where it says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain, or peripisteo, salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word obtain is that original Greek word. And if you look at that and just nuance this verse, it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, that our ultimate destiny is not wrath if we are God's own special people, but we are destined to obtain or possess that salvation. How? By what means, you may ask? Through Jesus Christ that he is the one, how we are going to achieve or get to the finish line. 
It's only by His grace that we get salvation. It's only by His grace we're sustained all the way to the end of our life. It's by His sustaining grace. Look at the second time, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obtain, there is the same word, peripasteo, that we will see it through to the end. How? By God's grace alone. It's not your work. It's not your effort that's going to get you to the finish line. It's only God's grace. The one who calls you is going to keep you all the way to the end. That that futuristic salvation that will be ultimate one day, God is going to see you all the way through. I'm sorry, guys. Whoa, what's happening? All right. Whatever it was, it can't hurt us now, okay? All right. Hebrews 10:39, another place. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserved their souls. That word preserved is peripasteo. Yet again, it's this ongoing continuation of our salvation that is going to be kept by God himself through the faith that we have in him. Last place for Ephesians 1.14. Who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession, same usage of that peripasteo, of it to the praise of his glory. This word is rendering this idea that God is going to keep us all the way to the end as our guaranteed of our hope that's laid up in him because of what Christ has done. That he is going to finish the work at which he started, that he has called us by his grace, he's going to keep us by his grace. He's going to see you all the way to the end to your death by his grace if you're a follower of him. You could say that this phrase, a people for his own possession, could be a people destined for vindication, destined to be kept by God himself because he's good on his promises. That is who our God is. That you could write it in a point like this, that a people for his own possession are a people being formed by God himself. That God is the one doing the work all the way to the end. But the reality for us is that from a very young age, we like autonomy. We like to do things on our own. You can hear it in the voice of a toddler when a parent or another adult's trying to help them with a project that they think they got it on their own, and they say, I do it. You even hear it in the pride of a, a school-age kid's voice when they bring an art project home that may or may not look good, but they said, I made this. And you're like, yes, you did. Let's put that on the fridge. Or you even hear it in the voice of my son that uh, over Easter, my, my wife and I, we got our, our boys uh, or all of our kids' Easter baskets, but our, our daughter was only like two days old, so we didn't get her one, so you can shame us later. Uh, but our boys' Easter baskets, and in, in their Easter basket, they had these, uh, they, these bath bomb puppies, is what they were called. And it's like there was this little tiny puppy, I, I brought one from home today, inside each bath bomb. So when the bath bomb dissolved, at the end of it, there this puppy popped out, and there was like a box of them. And so every night at bath time, and they were so excited, like, our oldest son, who's like two and a half, he'll be three at the end of the summer. And he's like, Daddy, green one. I was like, okay, we'll do a green one tonight. And, and at the end, we'd drop the bath bomb into the water and the bath water would do its thing and dissolve the bath bomb and out popped a puppy like this. And in so much pride, my son Wells, he would pick it up and put it in his hand like it was a hurt baby bird and say, Daddy, 
I made this. <laughs> like, just smile at him and be like, yeah, buddy, you, you made that. And I think so much of the time in our own lives, spiritually or just in our journey, we love to be self-made people. We love a good story about somebody pulling themselves up by their bootstraps of achieving the goal, turning their life around. But the reality for all of us, if you're taking notes, we are not self-made people. That your spiritual life, that from start to finish, that the work that which God was doing in you is you're simply a bath bomb dropped in water and he is doing the work. That your role as a follower of Jesus is to present yourself to the one who can actually do the work. Your job is to present yourself like a bath bomb to the water where it can actually produce from within you the thing that needs to be there that God has sealed you with a guarantee through the promise of his Holy Spirit. But my job and your job as followers of Jesus is simply to present ourselves on a regular basis to the one who can do the work. Or you can say it in a point like this, we must position ourselves to be aware of and engaged in the sustain in God's sustaining grace on a regular basis we have to present ourselves to the one who can do the work but if you're not a follower of Jesus yet that there's something that needs to be done in the front the the first stop that you have to become a follower of Jesus. You have to start following Jesus. This is what theologians call earlier in the message that we talked about God's saving grace. We turn from our sin to Christ to save us from what? From our sin and the ultimate wrath of God that is destined to be on us if we don't repent or turn from it. Saved by whom? Through Jesus Christ himself. We read multiple verses as he is the source. To save to what? to our ultimate destiny, to be a follower of Jesus now, but it doesn't stop at any point, that it's by God's grace it keeps us all the way to the end. Peter starts his letter like this in 1 Peter 1, 3, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And two, an inheritance that is imperishable, will never die, will never perish, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That is your ultimate destiny if you're a follower of Jesus. At the end of the service, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that. But what about current followers of Jesus, what is your positioning yourself to be aware of, engaged in the sustaining grace of God? The first thing that I would encourage you towards is this, a practical action step. Daily remind yourself. Daily remind yourself. You may think of what? I'm glad you asked. Daily remind yourself of your identity in Christ and his great love for you. That we've talked about for the past Four weeks of who you are in Christ. Daily remind yourself of your identity in Christ and his great love for you. And also remind yourself daily that you'll see him face to face one day. In the rule of St. Benedict, he was a, a monk um, hundreds of years ago. And I like to read pretty widely. But in chapter 4, in his rule of life, which basically a rule was a way that you modeled your life for living, 
and he was training and, and wrote, this, wrote this manual for these other monks that were training to be monks. And in chapter 4, he's addressing how to stay focused on Christ daily in your work and to be fruitful in ministry. And he has this line in it, the opening of the chapter. Day by day, remind yourself that you are going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church today? The St. Benedict is ultimately aware that what's one of the most helpful things for us to stay focused in our life is to remind ourselves that we are not eternal in this world. That there is an afterlife, that there is an eternity, but we're not in it right now. And that we need to stay focused on the things that matter. He goes on to say that you need to be reminded of actually three things, not just that one thing, but three things that I'm going to uh, put my own language around. That number one, that Jesus loves you. Two, he's watching you. Three, one day you're going to die and see him face to face. That you can say it in a, a sentence like this, if you wanted to write this down or take a picture of it, that the God who loves me is watching me. And one day I'm going to see him face to face. The God who loves you is watching you. And that word watching, you may feel like a little creeped out by it. Like your skin crawls a little bit. Like, I don't like that. But I mean watching in every sense of the term watching. Like he's watching like a guard over your life. That through his sustaining grace, he's guarding your life. He's directing your life. He's watching you and choices that you make. He's watching you and how you treat your spouse, your coworkers, your friends, your kids, the people that you think are beneath you in this world. He's watching you. And one day, you're going to see him face to face. Simple as that. Remind yourself. Make a screensaver of that. First thing in the morning for five minutes, set a timer on your phone and just say that over and over again, this one sentence until you start believing it. The God who loves me is watching me and one day I will see him face to face. For the next week, do that. Five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night or do it on the way to work. Don't turn the radio on just yet. Just spend the first five minutes just saying this phrase over and over again. The God who loves me is watching me and one day I'll see him face to face. Let that truth sit, sink into your soul, get into your bones, because it'll change your life. And number two, daily soak in God's Word. Daily soak in God's Word. That God's Word is full of wisdom for living our life. It reminds us of who He is, who we are in light of His truth. It reminds us that of our ultimate destiny one day that we've already talked about. But there's so many tensions in this daily soak. This, this key word is we need both quality and quantity time. Daily, quantity, soak, quality. But man, I was thinking about this and I was like, I have so many weaknesses in this area that think about the time and the focus it takes to prioritize the quality and the quantity time. I need to pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal weaknesses and help me prioritize my time and my focus so I can really hone in on this. It takes awareness to be in the moment when I'm sitting in God's Word and even being present in every other moment to apply the truth that I've gotten that morning to put it in the moment. It takes engaging God's Word to not just say these are words for some people one day or some people in the past, but they're living truth for me in this moment. 
So how can we practically apply this? Simple. If you've never gotten God's Word before or you hasn't been in God's Word in a while, take the, this is Daniel's creativity, the one challenge. The one challenge. Each one day, read one chapter. Pick one verse. Live it out for one hour for one month and see if it doesn't change your life. I'll say that again. Each one day, the day you're in, Read one chapter. It'd be helpful if you just progressively work through books of the Bible, like read the Gospel of John. Read that one chapter. From that one chapter, pick one verse to live out intentionally for one hour and do this for one month and see if it doesn't change your life. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe today you transferred over to become a follower of Jesus, that title is not a title you earned. But it's one, like Peter said, you learn to grow into. That you, no matter how long you've been following Jesus or how short of a time that you've been following Jesus, you have not yet arrived. And we all have a next step. Like a bath bomb being dropped into water, my job is to position myself in front of and in the presence in the one who can actually do the work. To shape me, to make me, to mold me into who He's created me to be. And the same is true for you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you're the one shaping us, making us, molding us, and keeping us all the way to the end. It's only because of your sustaining grace in our lives that every morning we wake up and breathe. God, I pray that you would continue that work that like your word says, you'll keep us all the way to the end to obtain, to possess that salvation because we are a people for your own possession, that you're the one that makes us, shapes us, and molds us. Father God, would you do what only you can do in this moment and every moment? Would you draw people unto yourself? And would you do ministry the only way you can do ministry? by your power, by your spirit. We trust you in this moment and every moment. In Christ's name, amen.